Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King. Adam Silverstein here leads you through these hard times data as we begin our second straight three-episode week here at Getting Over, breaking down everything that has gone down in WWE over the last few days on the road to Backlash this Sunday on Pay-Per-View and the WWE Network. For those that have missed it, don't forget, head on over to the Getting Over feed and listen to my breakdown of NXT TakeOver in your house, instant analysis style, and we will have another instant analysis podcast coming Sunday, immediately after Backlash, where my co-host today, Chris Vanini, will join me to break down everything that happens immediately after the pay-per-view. As I said, Chris is also joining me today. You can follow him on Twitter, at Chris Vanini. Of course, you can follow the Silver King, at Silverstein Adam. But don't forget to follow the show, at Getting Overcast. And we have a huge week ahead of us, so head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to fine audio and drop that five-star rating and review. You know here on Getting Over, it is all about the five. Now, before I get into the show itself and we talk all things WWE, I have a couple corrections stemming from our TakeOver Instant Analysis. And you know in the world of the Silver King, corrections are few and far between because the Silver King is almost never wrong. But I was wrong on a couple of things that I talked about on Sunday, and we're going to correct those right now. First, we have PW Insider reporting that Adam Cole has at least 18 months remaining on his contract, not two months, as I said on the show, and had been widely speculated. Uh, You know, people were certainly wondering whether he would be heading to AEW. His significant other, Britt Baker, you know, he was at a party with her recently around a lot of AEW people. You know, there's been speculation he hasn't been moved up to the main roster, despite Adam Cole and Undisputed Era being huge as a group. So I guess things just kind of ballooned from there and it became fact all of a sudden that he had two months remaining on his contract. He doesn't. He has 18 months left. So in the foreseeable future, Adam Cole is not going anywhere, baby. Uh, Also coming from that NXT TakeOver Instant Analysis show, I noted that it was strange why Johnny Gargano, a heel, would prevent the ref from, you know, counting out Keith Lee because you want to win the match if you're the heel, of course. What I forgot somehow in the late of night while I was drinking the beer, I guess, it was a title match. So Gargano could not win the title if Keith Lee was counted out. So that totally makes sense why they didn't do it that way. Two corrections coming from the Silver King before we get into the show. But you know, we're here to talk WWE this week. And the way we start every show is with the main event. And it's tough, Chris, because we are going to save a lot of what happened in WWE Friday on SmackDown and Monday on Raw for the ultimate preview of Backlash. But there were some other developments that went down on the show, so we're going to talk about two of them in the main event and a couple other quick hitters before we do that Backlash ultimate preview. And where I want to start today is with the women. Uh, Specifically, the women have main evented WWE's last three shows. They main evented SmackDown, the women's tag team title match, which is basically what we're going to talk about. Uh, Charlotte, uh, Io Shirai, and Rhea Ripley main evented NXT TakeOver in your house. And then you had Charlotte Flair main event Raw against Asuka in a non-title match. So the women have been a major focus of WWE recently. And if you have watched the last couple of shows, you see why. Uh, With so many, you know, men, I guess, either not involved in title pictures or with so many changes going on 
in the men's division. The women are by far the, the clearest cut. They are the ones that you can count on to really deliver when it means the most. And I think you have seen that across all three brands over the last week. Maybe no, no, no singular match more so than the main event of SmackDown. And it sounds a little strange to say because for a long time, you know, I'm not a, an Alexa Bliss hater by any means, but I do think that she was pushed into a role because of her ability on the mic more so than her ability in the ring. But we saw in the main event of SmackDown on Friday night what I consider to be a great women's tag team match for the titles, Bliss and Cross defending against Bayley and Sasha Banks. It was a strong main event, one of the best women's tag team matches in WWE that I can remember, period. And we got a shocking title change, just at least unexpected, maybe not shocking, with Bayley and Sasha Banks taking the titles off Bliss and Cross just a week out, you know, I guess it may, maybe nine days out from a pay-per-view. Uh, in that match, we saw the fantastic teases continuing with Bailey twice trying to get the win for the team instead of Sasha when Sasha could have otherwise had the match won. And your expectation when you see that is, oh, okay, now with that distraction happening, Bliss or Cross will end up pinning Sasha, who will be angry at Bailey. But that's not what they did. They literally did the exact opposite. They had Sasha Banks win with her team on the edge of conflict. You then had Bailey and Sasha Banks celebrating like crazy in front of Michael Cole and the the Bailey heel turn and, and her reactions, how she interacts with Cole has been fantastic, holding up both titles, screaming about how heavy they were and laughing. Then they continued it. If you followed it on social media, and I hope you do follow us at Getting Overcast because I tweeted the video uh, of them rolling around on the ground, laughing slash crying with the titles, mocking Ryan Satin's report after WrestleMania a couple years ago, where when they lost the titles, they were he reported that they were rolling around on the ground crying and upset at how it went down when they lost to the Iconics. And then you get the opening segment of Raw, which granted, while it was a little maybe rough and confusing a little bit, the match ended up being good. You had Bailey and Sasha Banks as the new champions in a triple threat uh, with Asuka and Charlotte Flair and then the Iconics on the other side of the ring. So this Bailey and Sasha Banks thing, Chris, I've been talking about it for months on this podcast, even before WrestleMania. I said that they are the best storyline going on SmackDown. They're the most entertaining thing happening on SmackDown. And it is now starting to kind of cross over into Raw because the women can go between brands. They may be the most entertaining thing in WWE to me right now. Bailey is doing the best work of her, of her entire career. She's really buying into the heel role. Sasha Banks, from both an acting perspective and an in-ring perspective, we'll talk about that in a moment. I'll let you get a word in. Um... Uh, Sasha Banks it looks as good as she ever has in the ring and the way they're working together and off each other it's just superb to me so I mean do, do you feel the same way about this did you love that that main event on Smackdown as much as I did and what do you think about Bailey and Sasha Banks not Becky obviously she's out not Charlotte Flair who's the anointed one these two really rising to the occasion especially in this empty arena era man where do I start with all that I know it's it's a lot. <laughs> I, I, I kind of rambled there, but that's how much I love it. I I I, I honestly, truly love what they're doing. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you made the the point. It's a bunch of you know women's matches main eventing these shows, and it's not even just women's matches. It's it's several women. It's triple threats. It's six man right. triple threat tags. It's triple threat NXT. It's a lot of women, and you know, it was just 
what a month ago when, when Becky Lynch left and we didn't really know where the women's division was going to kind of sit. Charlotte was in NXT. You didn't really know where things were going to go. Bailey and Sasha were in a bit of a groove, but they just continued to go to another level. And, and the, Bailey, the, icon, the Iconics weren't on TV. Yeah, the Iconics were almost, back. You almost never saw Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross compete, you know? I, I've never seen this much attention put on the women's tag belts since they've been created. And Bailey, ever since I, I've, I've said this before, WrestleMania was the moment I finally got sucked into the Bailey character. And I think she really started to figure out where things were going in the past month. She's been great. She wins and says she doesn't want to be called Bailey two belts. She wants to be Bailey dose straps. And it starts trending on Twitter uh, people are all in on, on this team. I, I, I've loved how they've dragged this on and on and on while continuing to update things so it doesn't feel like it's 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 plodding along. There's always tension, then they're back on the same page, and they they, they work great together. And Bailey, to me, Bailey is a star right now. She's killing it on the yeah. mic, on commentary in the ring, doing everything, uh, t- taking herself a level above Charlotte, who's been been carrying a bunch of the load. And then the, uh, on, on Raw... Uh, Charlotte and Asuka basically pulling double duty. They're always great together. Uh, great main event there on Raw. And now I'm looking forward to these matches when, when they come in Backlash, especially that triple threat uh, women's tag match. Because now I, I I care about these belts when I see how much Bailey cares about them, when I see how much the Iconics care about them. That's what we needed. That, and, and Bailey again, Bailey and Sasha are strong heels. Bailey talks a lot of crap and backs it up. They win the titles clean. They didn't. It wasn't some chicanery or anything like that to 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 get the the belts. That makes everything look better. It's, it's really been a great week for all the women. It has, uh, and yeah, to your point, you know, you get into this you get into this habit of on Raw and SmackDown, you always expect to see the same women. Whoever's involved in the women's title feud, the main feud on the show. That is who you expect to see and not much else. And, and what Raw had been, and I say had in the past tense, what they had been doing early in the post-WrestleMania you know, storylines, uh, they were giving us a bit of Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot, Bianca Belair debut. They're not there anymore. They're, we're not seeing them on television. And I think a large reason of that is because of the focus on the women's tag team picture. I have no doubt that we will see them sooner than later. But what the women's tag team titles do and what putting them back on Bailey and Sasha Banks accomplishes, look, the Iconics being champions, entertaining. Bliss and Cross, they have a nice dynamic. They have fused together as a team. It's a good use of them together. But Bailey and Sasha Banks are the real team. They're the ones who elevate the titles to actually mean something. It's what they did when they first put it on them. And we said, hey, they're going to drop them pretty soon. They're just the first champs. But they ended up having a little decent run with it because they actually made them relevant. And that's kind of what they're doing here. I would love for them, and we'll talk about the the match set for Backlash later. We're also going to talk about Charlotte Flair later, even though she's not on Backlash. I kind of want to save it for later in the show. Um, But Bailey and Sasha Banks have the opportunity to be these tag team champions for a short period of time and allow other women on the roster. If you look at SmackDown, maybe... Uh, Carmella and Adana Brooke, which I think they already tried out, or Carmella and Naomi on Raw, maybe Bianca Belair and Liv Morgan team up. You have you. It's a good device to find things for other women on the shows to do, where otherwise they're just not going to be on television. So 
Yes, the Iconics are a real team. Bailey and Banks are. Bliss and Cross, you can say they're now a real team. But that's all you have in WWE. You have three women's tag teams spread across two brands. One of them is basically always champion, and the other two are the contenders, right? But you have a lot of other women, and not all of them are going to factor into the main event picture. I don't see Dana Brooke legitimately challenging for the SmackDown title again, okay? So figure out a way to put her in a tag team, and she doesn't need to win, but she needs to be in a team that can legitimately compete with the champions. So it's a device that WWE rightfully inserted into their company with the creation of the titles, but really mostly, for the majority of the time, has underused and has not really used it to its advantage, that it allows women to be put on television in meaningful storylines where otherwise your WWE, you may feel, is forcing them in. Like the Liv Morgan, Ruby Riot stuff, she fought her two weeks in a row. And yes, Liv Morgan won, which was great. It put her over. But now we're not getting vignettes anymore. We're not seeing Liv Morgan. Imagine if she had a tag team partner or if she started developing a relationship maybe with Bianca Belair. And now you're seeing her get some of these opportunities. Maybe they're even losing to the Iconics. But now you're seeing her on TV more frequently and eventually they end up gelling together and become a contender and get a shot for the titles. So I am glad to see the women's tag team titles getting spotlight. I'm glad to see Bailey and Sasha Banks being the device for which WWE is doing that. And I ultimately think it's just going to improve the division and improve the company as a whole. I mean, look, we're opening this podcast on a go-home week for a pay-per-view talking about the women's tag team titles. And the truth is we would not be doing that if it was not for Bailey and Sasha Banks. Yes. Yeah. And, and honestly, you know, the, the women's tag belts for a while had been kind of nothing. And I, I think there's a way you can use them, like you explained, as sort of a not a mid-card type title, but a way to have more incentive for women who aren't in the title picture to have something that they're competing for. Um, and it can cross brands. I think that's it, it helps that it can cross brands and get more people involved. So I, I, I'm excited to see where they, they go with it. I, you kind of get a little bit of a two-women power trip type of vibe from Bailey and Sasha yeah, right now with, with the both belts, and I was a big fan of that two-man power trip. Stone Cold Steve Austin and, and Triple H uh, before Triple H got hurt. Uh, so I, I think it only elevates it and, and, and can hopefully get more people involved. I mean, honestly, you just look at SmackDown, and I didn't even mention this person, but like you take Lacey Evans, and what is she really doing? You take Dana Brooke, who's definitely doing nothing. They're both strong, powerful, confident women, right? That's a tag team. You figure out a name. You figure out a gimmick. Maybe you, you use Lacey's gimmick, whatever the case. But now you have a tag team, and it's, and you're getting them on TV more frequently. So that's the direction I go. The other thing I wanted to mention out of this before we move on is when Sasha Banks tagged in to that match on Raw Monday night, both hot tags, you just saw what I feel is the best women's wrestler in the company. You got a glimpse of the Asuka-Sasha Banks match that we have all wanted forever. They were moving at a speed in that ring that did not, the rest of the women could not compare. Um, it was lightning fast. It, it was, for, for like, you got 30 seconds of Asuka and Sasha Banks. And I said, oh my God, I want this match so freaking bad. And you also had Sasha, I believe, open the match against Peyton Royce. And they did a back and forth that probably, again, lasted 30 to 60 seconds that had it happened in front of a crowd would have gotten a huge cheer. It was the classic, like, you know, technical wrestling, leaping and dodging each other's moves, countering each other, and then you end in the stalemate. It was just so good. Sasha 
since she has come back, I'm talking about since she's come back to when she feuded with Becky on Raw a year ago, she has looked at the top, absolute top of her game, completely refreshed from when she left. We all know she should have won that feud with Becky and been champion. But regardless of that, now that she's starting to get time again and is able to develop her character, the blueprint character is really showing not just that it's well thought through, but that it's actually different from the boss. And the interactions with Bailey are great. I am really, really excited to see what they have in store for Sasha Banks going forward. And look, we've been excited about Sasha before. And every time we get disappointed, right? Even if she wins the title, she holds it for six days and then drops it back to Charlotte. But in this particular case, it is very clear to me on SmackDown that they understand Bailey and Sasha are the program and that Sasha beating Bailey, eventually turning on her going face is going to be the right decision. I am exceedingly excited for when it eventually happens. Plus, you know, with Sasha Banks every single time that that is always a factor. Okay, let's move off them and move over to Raw. Chris, you know, in general, I just kind of want to talk about the show. Three hours, I felt it was extremely awkward, especially for a pre-taped go-home show. The pacing and booking was totally bizarre for me. Uh, The opening segment was all kinds of uneven, as I mentioned earlier. They cut to commercial at the start of the Seth Rollins-Rey Mysterio call after an interaction that really made you want to see where it was going to go. Then they show the call and cut to commercial again as Aleister Black dives over a table and attack Seth Rollins. Then they come back from commercial, and they show you the same five seconds of the attack, but no additional footage, and then just go into a match with the Disciples against Umberto Carrillo and Aleister Black. Then you have the Edge and Christian segment, and we're going to talk about these things separately, but that segment was incredibly strange with the crowd chanting. Apollo Crews comes to the ring to cut a promo, gets cut off, you never see him again. Um, And then they had two tag matches on the show, with champions and or top contenders losing to teams that were just completely thrown together. For as much as I have praised Raw, Chris, over the last, you know, four months, really, again, I always mention it, dating back to like last November, since Paul Heyman got some input into the show. This was a strange, weird, awkward, terrible, in terms of pacing and booking, show. And for a go-home show for a pay-per-view, to me, it was unacceptable. I'm not saying I hated the show. In terms of like what I was presented, I was still entertained, but I could not get my brain out of the show being strange. Am, am I completely in my own head about this, or do you see some of the things that I'm mentioning here? No, I, I kept rewinding because I thought I missed something. Like it was it, when it would go to commercial, when it would come back to commercial. You're right. The, the pacing and the structure just felt off. Like I I, I went, I rewound and rewatched Seth uh, the Seth Alistair table thing then it rewound it farther back to the previous commercial before the previous commercial break because i was still a little confused at the order of what was going on right because the things weren't i mean i I know you know we complain sometimes it's too structured and you know it's segment 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 and i and i i get sometimes maybe wanted to change some things up but some of it just felt weird like when someone attacks somebody over the table you know why why you go to commercial there that's exactly not i I understand you want to tease something to not change the channel but not in the middle of the action. It, like that's, it, that's not when you do it. If it was real sports, right? And you're a director for CBS, ESPN, whatever, right? And Trevor Lawrence drops back and throws a bomb. You don't cut to commercial before the guy catches it. Right. 
<laughs> you see the catch, you see the end of the play, someone calls a timeout, then you go to commercial. And I'm not saying that like WWE should never go to commercial during a match or something like that. If you do it, if you see a tope suicida and it's onto a pile of four guys and everyone's laid out, of course, that's a good time to go to commercial. They're selling the hurt. You get back into the ring, you restart. I, the action, I mean, I still don't like that because for this, you don't do you don't go to a commercial in the middle of a sports game. But it makes sense. Anything. But it but makes I, sense, though, at least. Yeah, you know? I, I know WWE used to do this for a long time, uh, a lot. They've cut back on it. I get it. But. It's it's never something that makes me like oh I got to come back like you, you you compare it to you know for all the problems of the Attitude Era you know they would go to commercial with somebody walking and someone's oh someone's coming up next you gotta can't wait to see what this person does so there's different ways to tease to come back to commercial instead of doing it mid match and stuff like that even last week they show like Bobby Lashley putting Drew McIntyre in a full Nelson to end the show and they cut off I like that and I don't I didn't mind it. But they said to on this show on, on Monday, we're going to tell you everything that happened at the end of the show. And they didn't tell us anything that happened. Yeah, and probably. and if you're going to tell us everything that happened, you should do it at the very start yeah. of the show. Yeah, yeah. Here's yeah. what happened when cameras went off the air. Mm-hmm. We're going to we're going to have a, a VIP lounge segment later in the show with MVP interviewing Bobby Lashley about how he got over on Drew McIntyre. So now you, ha- you show it, you pay it off and you tease for later in the show. They just tease, tease, tease. It's like the day after WrestleMania, the Raw after Mania, where they're like, you need to see what happened after WrestleMania. And it's like, okay, I'm excited. Tell me. And they don't show you until like 2.55, two hours and 55 minutes into the show. And you're like, oh, the big show came out and challenged Drew McIntyre and they fought. And that's the main event of your Raw after WrestleMania. It was just ridiculous. So to me, this whole show was like that. The biggest example I can I can give you, and I mentioned it already, but... It was that phone call with Ray Mysterio. You have Seth Rollins walking out, right? And kicking Byron Saxton out of the chair. So you have Tom Phillips say, hey, when we come back, we're going to have Ray Mysterio live and Seth Rollins is going to be right here and you have Rollins wave to the camera. Then you come back, you have that interaction with Rollins and Mysterio with Seth waving and Ray Mysterio basically being like, hey, Seth, you piece of shit. Like, I don't want to talk to you right now. And then you have the entire back and forth that you had. It was... So strange the way they did those two cuts. It makes me think that they must have had maybe the the brawl with Alistair didn't go according to plan and someone tripped and fell or something. Or there were other segments in the show, even Apollo with that promo, maybe he meandered and it didn't sound good. So they figured out a way to cut him off and just play Andrade's music. It it feels like they almost overcorrected in the editing. And if it wasn't that, then I have no explanation for what they did. Yeah, like I said, I had to rewind that bit twice to figure out exactly what was going on there. I I like the idea of a commentary interview, you know, stuff we don't that's something we don't get maybe as much. It's better than someone stands in the ring and talks to the Titantron. So I I like the idea. But again, the execution was just very strange. All right, so for people who say I don't criticize WWE enough, I just nitpick <laughs> production for an entire three-hour show. So uh, direction and production. Okay, but let's let's actually talk about what happened here. Uh, they come back from Black attacking Rollins to a tag team match, which was 60 miles an hour from the start and never slowed down. It was a breakneck pace, but the match, some for some reason, was only four minutes. Black and Murphy 
Alistair Black and, and Murphy are incredible working together. The sequence that they showed with them was great. The finish was so strange. Having Black not even hit the Black Mask, but just kick Murphy off the top rope and then pin him. Whereas you have later in the show, the Lashley MVP versus Viking Raiders tag team match that took almost three full segments in hour three. I want to see what Raw had been giving us for weeks on end, which was dudes that can work, working, and giving us, you know, a 15-minute match of good wrestling where you go back and you go, holy crap, that was like a four-star match on television. Make to give, the, give us that in the main event. We'll talk about that later. But for me, I wanted that match to go on way longer. And then, Chris, to finish that segment, you saw Rollins absolutely brutalize Aleister Black, even though he's currently embroiled in the program with Rey Mysterio. So it leaves me to wonder, where are they headed here? Black and Rollins, it would make sense to be an interim feud before Rollins ultimately goes against Ray, which would be maybe at SummerSlam in a career versus something type of match. Who knows what they're going to do? But I can't see Aleister Black losing that feud to Rollins, and I can't see Rollins losing another feud as an interim feud ahead of a showdown with Ray Mysterio. So where do you think they're going with all of these guys? Is it just going to be a six-man at a pay-per-view? What do you actually think is going to happen with this entire feud? Well, well, first, I want Aleister Black and Buddy Murphy, like, 30-minute matches on every Raw. Those guys are so good together. Yeah. The, the, the Murphy is maybe the best seller in the, in the company right now. Um, I, I know we had, was it a one-on-one a few months ago or something like that? They had an incredible match. Anyway, those guys are great. Would have loved to see more of them. It, it makes sense to go Alistair Black Rollins. You know, Black is defending Ray's honor. He attacked him and, you know, on commentary, it, it sets up. I will say I was, a no, I was, I rolled my eyes at uh, Rollins' distraction with the music and coming out in the Ray mask. It's almost the exact same thing we got with Nia Jax the week before coming it was out in, exact in, in the Alaska match. Now that was the mask. That was during the match led to a countout instead of a distraction for a beatdown at the end of a match. But anyway, it's kind of a trope that they just do a lot of the time, and it was kind of a weird to see it two weeks in a row. I would love to see Black Rollins. I don't know where it goes. Maybe. Maybe you just have some schmaz, a smaz, schmaz finish in one match and it leads to more tag stuff. I don't know. But I, I, I think I think those two could put on some really good uh, matches. I don't know where it and it, it, I don't know where it's going to go. It's kind of sometimes fun to not know where it's going to go when you have two guys like that who could be uh, mixing it up and, you know, they're going to make some good stuff. That's fair. And I have no problem holding out and, and seeing where they take us with the storyline. It just does seem a little strange when. There's no match for Backlash, which is a very short card. I think it's only six matches. Uh, and one of your, basically your top feud or your number two feud on Raw, because the women's one certainly is not as much as they want to push it, is not even on the show uh, in terms of even just having a tag team match in the pre-show or something. And maybe they will. Maybe that's what they'll do. Um, but to not have Rollins on Backlash, to kind of not know where this is going, you know, it's a little strange to have Rey Mysterio on the phone two weeks in a row saying the exact same thing. Yeah. Last week's being far better. And this week, you don't even have Dominic there to kind of make you wonder what's going to happen. It was just a little disappointing for me. Again, you know, Raw's been great. And the storyline and Seth Rollins has been great. Look, Seth Rollins has it. And Aleister Black has it. And Buddy Murphy has it. I guess Murphy, not Buddy Murphy. Not to mention everyone else involved here. Creo's great. You know, um... Who else? Who am I missing? Uh, what's his name? 
uh, Austin Theory, he's great too. And Rey Mysterio is a legend. So, you know, I'm, I do anticipate this ultimately being great, but this, this segment and the way they're booking this storyline, or at least the way they did this week, was emblematic of the issues with Raw as a whole. It created confusion for me, and I thought it was just strange from top to bottom. And again, when I tell you many weeks that Raw is my favorite show out of all of them, there's been weeks where it's been better than NXT and AEW. This week, I, I just can't imagine that being the case, even though we will preview NXT and AEW at the end of the show. They, there ain't much to sink your teeth into this Wednesday night, although I'm sure the shows will be fine. Uh, but before we get to that, and before we get to our uh, ultimate preview of WWE Backlash, let's talk about what else went down in WWE over the last week. You know, aside from the women's tag team title match, the other great segment, and maybe the best segment on the show, was the interaction between Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles, and Drew Gulak. You had Bryan and Styles in this face-to-face confrontation uh, ahead of their Intercontinental Championship match, the finals of the tournament, which is taking place this Friday on SmackDown. I thought it was a really strong face-to-face. They brought out the best in one another. Brian talking about how he wants to be a fighting champion style, saying, hey, look, I want the title, but I'm only going to defend it against deserving challengers. Juxtapose their personalities and their characters. And then Styles being the one to kind of reach in and pull Drew Gulak into the situation, saying, hey, Daniel Bryan loves giving handouts. Who more has received more of them than Drew Gulak? And then surprising us by having Gulak not just come out for a match, but actually having him counter the Styles clash and beat AJ Styles ahead of the Intercontinental title match. That Those were just things that I did not expect to happen on SmackDown. And look, Gulak, long term, I don't know if, he, and I don't think he's ever going to be a world champion. I do think he can be a mid-card champion. And him and Brian can tag and win the titles in that regard. But to see him get that kind of time to get his biggest match and biggest win so far in WWE against AJ Styles, I thought Brian Styles and Gulak absolutely killed those two segments. A plus for me all around for those guys. AJ AJ Styles is a a made dude. He can afford a loss to a Drew Gulak right before an Intercontinental Championship match and be fine. Like th- th- that's what you can use people like AJ Styles. Or even a couple weeks ago, Rollins lost a match clean. Nor I, f- I feel like in the normal day-to-day of, of Raw and SmackDown when you have crowds and everything, stuff like what happened on SmackDown there maybe wouldn't happen. And I, I think it's, again, a credit to what Dana Bryan has been able to do to really bring Gulak along with him and force WWE to do something uh, with him. And, yeah, great segment. It, it, it matches all their characters right. It all made sense. It was fun. It makes you uncertain what's going to happen at the next SmackDown for the belt if it's going to play into to Backlash a couple days later. Um, the, the only takeaway I have from the segment has nothing to do with any of them. It's that I just, I cannot get behind that intercontinental championship belt design. It's so, so ugly. It's it, so it, ugly. It, when, when they put it on, you know, on the, the pedestal there and you really, you know, it's a centerpiece of the segment. I just, I can't, I, I'm imagining that Brian styles talking over the, the, the classic white belt, like in, in, in the of difference course. that would make, I just, I do not, I still do not understand this title design. It looks so so weird to me and it it has taken a little bit of shine off of it to me because when i think of history that you know brian's talking about the history of the intercontinental belt and stuff like that and it's just it's not in that design and it's a little hard to get into but brian and styles are great and they're going to do great things always whenever you put them in the same ring together but uh yeah 
the the design is absolutely awful. The construction of it it clangs together when it's when it's carried and when it's like dropped. The the plates click and and it seems cheap. Sounds at least cheaply made. It is the worst designed WWE title that I can remember. I mean, I honestly I don't know. I mean, it, the twenty four seven title is a joke, and that's not doesn't look good. But for what it is, the twenty four seven title is more appropriate looking than the Intercontinental title is for the Intercontinental title, if that makes sense. I mean, it's to the point where I don't love the U.S. Championship, and they haven't changed the design of that in like 15 years. Yeah. But it looks better now than the Intercontinental Championship. It is so ugly. Apparently, there was something where like WWE, I think, did not own the rights to the design because a third party designed it for them. So therefore, there were certain things they couldn't do to make money off it. Or when they did sell replicas, they had to give a large percentage to this person. I forgot what the situation is. So according to them, it seems they needed to change the, the design. And that's OK. If you want to change the design, that's fine. But you can take that stupid WWE logo that you have on the women's belt t- belts titles. You guys know I call them titles. The women's titles and the uh, men's titles. And you can put a globe behind it or do something a little bit different and make that the strap. You can go back to the one. I didn't love it, but the one that they had in the 2000s or something where... The Attitude Era, where it's like the oval. Yeah, it was like an oval, and it was like maybe a blue strap, and it was kind of like yellowish. You can go back to that and maybe a modern version of that. Whatever. This title sucks. I mean, let's just be honest. The four worst titles between AEW and WWE right now are the TNT, the 24-7 the AEW women's and this one. And if you were ranking them, you know, I wouldn't put this one last, but I would say that based on the importance of the title, it is the worst. It's the worst looking for the most important title that exists in maybe any major wrestling company right now. Yeah, it's it's the intercontinental title. It's supposed to be about history. You know, it it kind of, it kind of looks like the, the, AW women's title in terms of it's it's like a circle oval that's kind of stretched vertically black and gold. Yeah, right. Yeah, just it's it's so it's so weird. I haven't got behind it. You know, I know people booed the the universal title when it came out and and stuff like that. And, and, you know, maybe we'll get used to it. But I don't know. This is just it's 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 been a very strange few months with this belt. The universal title was a shock factor. It was hey, we're used to black, you know, sometimes blue and white titles in WWE. And they give us this bright red title. And you're like, what the hell is this, right? But it did wear off a little bit. And now it's blue. And it actually looks, honestly, I think it looks worse being blue, even though the blue is a calmer color. I agree. And it makes sense that it's blue on SmackDown. It's just, it's a a strange shade of blue. It's almost like it's trying to be a bright blue, but doesn't want to be too bright, as opposed to just being navy. If you remember... Or if you look at the SmackDown tag team titles, that is what that title should look like, that color blue. Um, but but again, we're kind of I'm kind of getting away from it here. The point is that they tried to do too much here. It they tried to almost make it look too different. And I think when Shinsuke Nakamura was the champion and, and they brought it out, it didn't look good, but somehow it worked for him. It it somehow looked okay with Shinsuke. But st- having it on that pedestal between Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles, it really brought brought to clear light how bad that title is. And look, you know, I know WWE doesn't like just putting something out there and then switching it in terms of from a title perspective, you know, particularly they have to do something here. 
They they cannot let this go on because as stupid as it sounds, every time I see it, it damages the prestige of the Intercontinental Championship. Now, we did praise the interaction between Brian Styles and Gulak, and that was good, Gulak getting a clean win. But what I saw on the rest of SmackDown, to be negative, I have to be, between the Lacey Evans-Sonya Deville match, which I thought was shockingly a very entertaining and very good match. They had Mandy Rose appear on the Titantron and distract the villain, and then Evans hits her with the women's right. And then you have Corbin against Otis, and the only way Otis can win, despite being the money in the bank holder, is to win via disqualification. And it feels to me, and I do notice this when I watch NXT and when I watch AEW, and we always know this, WWE far too often relies on these distraction finishes. They're so scared to let people just get over and get a win on other people. I mean, two weeks in a row, Charlotte Flair getting distracted, or Asuka getting distracted and Charlotte winning. You know, it's always something. There's always something that prevents just a clean finish in some of these matches. And if there's one thing I think WWE could truly improve on, it's saying, you know what? Hey, maybe Mandy Rose is there ringside, so she's a little bit of a little bit of a distraction the entire time. But Sonya Deville loses clean to Lacey Evans, and Mandy Rose the next week makes fun of Sonya for losing, and then Sonya beats Mandy, and you have another match after that, and you get a feud going there. Instead, every single thing is done to to get someone over they think, but actually protect the other person. Like Corbin doesn't need to be protected. Otis just won money in the bank. Let him get a clean win. That stuff really bothered me when I was watching SmackDown. And I just thought those two were emblematic of the issue throughout WWE. Yeah, it's a lot of the same, you know, crutches WWE will lean back on distractions or, you know, a a, a face gets revenge for something and then continues to do it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And it just kind of goes nowhere. It, it, it's just often, and it, a lot of times it happens with the women's stories is that they have an idea and they've got like two steps planned out and then they have nowhere else to go. They have nowhere else to go and they don't, it, it, they're not fully planned out, stretched out from month to month. So that, that was kind of the vibe I got from these things that we've seen them before. And you kind of get a sense that they don't exactly know what they're doing right now. And you kind of just, get through it. Yeah, like the Sonya Mandy stuff works, but like, okay, we they already did the mixed tag, which probably should have been a pay-per-view match. Um, they already kind of gave us Mandy and Sonya, but we haven't really got the match between them. Are they going to give us an Extreme Rules match in July? Okay, if so, you need to get us there. You need Sonya to use a kendo stick on Mandy, take her out for a couple weeks, then you don't even need them on TV. Or you have yep. Sonya... You have Sonya on TV, you have her beat Carmella, you have her beat Dana Brooke in singles competition. And then three weeks later, Mandy comes in and interferes in a match against Lacey Evans and Sonya loses and she gets upset and the feud reignites with Mandy. That is how you do a distraction finish. You don't just throw it in there as a device to get Sonya in a match. You you build to it. You give Mandy a reason to want to continue to screw her over and then you build from there. So the booking really should not be that difficult. And again, considering they're taping multiple shows at a time now, there's not an excuse not to have it solid. I mean, there have been some really good things that WWE's done taping these shows in advance. But what I just pointed out, those two in particular, not examples of positive stuff. Uh, moving over to Raw, and I have a couple more things, then we have some DMs, then we will get to the ultimate preview of Backlash here. I thought they just showed us again. We know the 24-7 title's worthless, okay? We know. But they just showed again how worthless it is. 
when you have Lashley lock our truth in a full Nelson, knock him out. And all he needed was a ref to be there and say, yeah, you just won because you knocked him out. Instead, he knocks out the champion. Truth is just laying there. He walks away, Lashley. They also could have had anyone run over with a referee to Truth. They could have had MVP. Hey, ref, come over here. Put his foot on Truth's chest. Get the one, two, three. Now MVP's 24-7 champion. Instead, they had the champion get knocked out and no one took advantage of it, in particular Lashley. I just thought it was so unnecessary for them to do that to Truth if you're not going to pay it off with a title change. Well, like, why not just put the belt on MVP? That's what I said. Yeah, like, like he—he's—he's not—he's just there to promote Lashley. Put a put a belt on him, so he's doing something more, and just kind of adds to to Lashley thing. You can MVP will be looking over his shoulder at times. Maybe maybe that you know maybe he gets distracted trying to defend that belt, and it costs Lashley or something like that. Like I, again, it's just like it, it feels like it was something that just did not think like two steps forward. Right. Because um, I've liked MVP, our truth. You know, they had that bit at the pay-per-view um, where MVP really talked down to him. And they did um, it again here and it was good. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, I like their dynamic. I feel like you could do something with it, but I don't know if they just have no plans or it was just for a, a quick laugh or what. But uh, yeah, again, just a, a missed opportunity to, to have a belt mean something. Like they could, like what they could have done is, you know, you have Lashley lose to McIntyre, right? But then, you know, we're, we're saying now that MVP has the title. And then a couple weeks later on Raw, Lashley is now deciding, hey, I'm going to get into the U.S. title picture. I'm going to challenge Apollo Crews. And he gets a match. And R-Truth runs in and pins MVP for the 24-7 title. Lashley fights him off. And now that that happens, Apollo Crews is able to roll up Lashley and, and gets the win and Lashley gets out of there. And now there's a, a, a tag team feud, Apollo Crews and R-Truth against Lashley and MVP. And maybe Lashley and MVP win. They go after the tag team titles. I mean, I know this is fantasy booking, but my point and your point is that you can take something like this and weave it into multiple storylines and everyone else will benefit from it. It gives Apollo Crews another challenger. It gives the Street Profits or maybe the new champions by then the Viking Raiders a a legitimate challengers. And by the way, guess what happened at the end of the show? Lashley and MVP beat the Viking Raiders. So if they do take the titles off the Profits, and Lashley and MVP beat an Apollo Crews R-Truth tag team. Well, guess what? Now all of a sudden they're legitimate contenders for the tag team titles. And they would be a good, you know, duo as champion as well. And and guess what? Raw is lacking tag teams. So what did I just do? I, again, I'm not trying to say like I'm the, the I'm not I'm not the King Booker or anything like that. But what I am saying is that if you just give it a little bit of thought and you realize what is possible, you can get so much out of a singular very small development. And I feel like that is why that segment in particular was such a disappointment. There are so many branches that could have come out of actually having a change there. And again, it didn't even have to be anyone involved. It literally could have been like Austin Theory, just taking advantage of the situation or Angel Garza or whatever the case. Zelina Vega or Shayna Baszler or, or freaking anybody. You know, well, like, like, remember, I mean, in, in, in the corporation, you know, the big boss man had the hardcore title for a while. Exactly. Like, it's just like you can you can weave these these things into bigger stories and elevate those stories as well. If it's just going to be used as a gag, why not try to Dude. have so have somebody who actually cares about it, not someone who doesn't even know the name of it? I think truth is funny and, it, and it's great, but y- you can do other things. They did an interview segment with Lana during Lashley and MVP's match with the Viking Raiders, right? And she talked about, I need to start looking out for myself. Well, what if before that interview, 
she stood on R-Truth's chest and a referee counted one, two, three. And during the interview, they said, Lana, what was that about? And then she said the exact same promo and had the title over her shoulder. <laughs> and then you had Lana be the one who distracts Lashley because someone oh. chases her to the ring. And now you have a reason to break them up. So you could have done it with MVP. Both the damn territory. I'm just saying, I know, man, like, I, I know, and I know I'm going on about it, but like, you could have done it with MVP, you could have done it with Lana, you could have done it with so many other people. And just for them to have that be a throwaway segment, when it was entertaining, it was just, it was disappointing. Uh, also disappointing to me, and I want you to tell me I'm wrong, you better not. Um, the Street Profits, Viking Raiders, Decathlon, I'm going to wipe my hands of this, I'm going to let you tell me what you thought of the Decathlon and what you think of the storyline, and then I will respond from there. I know every uh, every other week I kind of go back and forth, and if I like him, if I don't like him, I really like this one, and I <laughs> it, it, and the reason why it wasn't about the events it, as opposed it wasn't so it wasn't you know ten minutes on basketball it was all about their interactions as characters, and this was the I, probably the first time where I really got a sense that these teams have a a rivalry going i like them interacting they're funny playing off of each other you know uh they they run through the hurdles i love when the viking raiders are calling the the street profits fam like just going boom 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 and getting through these as opposed to like a dragged out single sport one i thought it was i thought it was really funny and now i feel like these teams have a real connection and rivalry. I would like to see them in the ring. I know we get we got to see the Viking Raiders in the ring. They should do that more often. I think you can do these segments to set up a match later in the show to, to really take advantage of it, which we talked about last week with the Street Profits. But I thought this was funny. I, I like characters interacting with each other outside of just wrestling. And this was a fun, natural, more natural way to kind of do it where they're just playing games with each other essentially. This might have been my favorite one. I, I really enjoyed it. Okay, well, I didn't, I will say this. I did not hate it for the reasons that you mentioned, but I am now done. <laughs> After Backlash, I want these guys wrestling because guess what? No, I, I want them wrestling as well. That, 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 that's the problem. Okay, but I don't need, I, I don't I don't need more. I don't need more though. The tiebreaker, the tiebreaker is a wrestling match for the yeah. titles. Like yeah, it has sure. to be. Like, like, get all four of these guys wrestling. Have them wrestle other people. Put the Viking Raiders in a number one contenders match just for shits and giggles, just to say they actually have earned the opportunity. Or even if you don't want to, that's okay. But but these these teams need to fight. And it also is strange that the, the Street Profits just won the titles. And they've yet to have a meaningful tag team feud. The tag team picture on Raw, as I kind of alluded to when I was talking about MVP and Lashley, it is weak as shit right now. There is no one there. Meanwhile, SmackDown is still loaded, even with the Revival not being there and obviously going to AEW. So WWE needs to figure out something to do with tag teams. I do have one idea I'll mention later. Of course, uh, MVP and Lashley is another idea, which I think is a pretty legitimate and pretty good one. But I want to see the Street Profits, one of the most athletic and impressive tag teams in the company, wrestle. And I want to see the Viking Raiders, one of the strongest teams individually two of the strongest people in the company wrestle because guess what we got a viking raiders lashley mvp match and it was good it was mm -hmm. exciting it was entertaining and a large part of that it was also long but a large part of that was the street profits being ringside and their interaction with drew mcintyre and by the way the best thing that either of these teams did on the entire show was drew mcintyre interacting with the viking raiders backstage before that segment that was 
or before, I guess, the VIP lounge segment. That was endlessly entertaining. The fact that he kind of notes, hey, you guys are Celtic. I'm Scottish. Like, what? you know, we kind of have this thing. I have a party later. You guys should come to it. It took you beyond the WWE world. So these teams are entertaining. WWE, what they have succeeded in doing is making the Viking Raiders fun and likable. Mm -hmm. Whereas previously they were supposed to be domineering, but you didn't really believe it totally. Like the gimmick from NXT and one that they had in NJPW, it didn't really work in WWE. So they found a way to make the Viking Raiders work. I don't love it. I think it's a little too corny, but people do. And I'm okay with that. But now you have to pay it off. I'm done. They, They spent over a month, six weeks with this crap. Let's actually get these guys wrestling again. And if you want to have fun in the wrestling matches, that's okay. But, you know, I want to see it actually pay off now. No, I, I agree. I Like I said, I, I think you could have had them do these skits, you know, early in the show. And then the teams maybe interact later in the show while one has a match or something like that. And it builds to tiebreaker. We're going to have a wrestling match. So you don't like I like the segments. I like them wrestling. I just would like both. But I, I don't want to say be, I, because they're not wrestling it makes me not like the segments. That's not the case. All right, well, I'll play the whole thing this time. Kentucky Long Rifle, what is that, an email? I usually cut that sound off, but we have two DMs, so I'll do one sound. Andrew Clark at Real Andrew Clark. He said, I've been thinking about Mike Tyson's involvement in AEW, and I wonder why WWE has almost completely avoided celebrity involvement at this time, despite heavily using B or C list celebrities at different times over the past 30 years. What would you think? If WWE included Fox associated personalities in the socially distanced crowd during SmackDown and USA or NBC or other guest stars in the socially distanced crowd for Raw, the cameras could focus on their reactions to the matches and the random NXT and PC talent could be more of background like an ambiance as they should be. I got to say, I think it's a great idea. You know, Fox wants to promote its programming, NBC and USA and all the companies involved in Xfinity want to promote their stuff. It would make a lot of sense to have a couple celebrity personalities, people who actually like the product, again, B, C, or even D-list people, just there and cheering things on. Obviously, they would need to commit to WWE in the way that they're trying to get the crowd to react, and maybe that's the reason they're not there. But I think this is a great idea to get some fresh faces. You point some things out. You promote television. I'm sure Fox and USA would love it. I am legitimately surprised WWE hasn't gone down this road. I mean, I imagine it's the logistics of getting people down there to do these types of things, but I'm I'm not a big fan. I would prefer I would prefer the the AEW route, which was you have star you have some stars in the crowd and they interact with some people throughout the match. Like MJF is in there and he interacts with Jungle Boy and it kind of allows Cody to blade or whatever he's doing. Um, <laughs> I, I think they're in, in you know Pineapple Pete and Jericho leads to a match. Like I, I think you can. It's hard with the plexiglass, obviously, but I would prefer something like that where it feels more authentic and in, 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 in kind of in that kayfabe world as opposed to here's a celebrity sitting behind the plexiglass in this weird, empty studio. Um, you know, they, they, they've tried the USA Fox people. They did it with the draft. It felt weird. Well, that uh, wasn't really like, I mean, right. that's... Like, I, I just, that I guess I don't, I don't trust their <laughs> abilities to pull it off, basically. Okay, I accept that. I, I accept not trusting their ability to pull it off. The, the draft is, I don't think, is necessarily a fair comparison. I will say, though, that we did have the Iconics in, in that crowd during the main yes. event. Yep. And I like that. And you know what? I kind of wish that during the men's match, they had had, 
not McIntyre, maybe he should have been on commentary, but the Street Profits back there kind of hyping everyone up. Yeah, um, exactly. That, that would have been nice as well. So I don't know that you need them there the entire show like AEW has them. And honestly, like seeing Billy Gunn and Austin Gunn there every single week in the same spot and MJF there every single week in the same spot, it is actually getting monotonous and kind of like eye rolling for me. But what did I love? I loved Britt Baker being out there. That was different and unique for one week. So I think if it's one or two people, maybe one on each side or a team on each side every week and just give it a little bit of spice, like you're saying, I wouldn't, that would be a good idea. But WWE needs to do a little bit more with the crowd because you can tell that these tapings are very long and they're having them there for long periods of time every day because the takeover crowd, and it was the same people, the takeover crowd was great. The raw crowd was awful. They were zapped of energy. And they did not want to be there. And when they did, the chants were terrible and they were just kind of boring, honestly. So I, I'm happy to get them some chairs. It's still really weird to see everybody standing six feet apart with no chairs. It doesn't feel right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you get them in chairs, you can't see them. That's the problem. I do. They don't have to sit in them. Just have a chair there so it looks natural. I guess yeah, they could put some some rows of, of chairs or so. I don't I don't know what they could do. But even in AEW, they're standing up over the ledge. The difference is in AEW, they're hanging over the ledge, so they're you can see body parts and you can see stuff. Whereas in WWE, they have the glass that keeps everyone partitioned away from the ring. I think that's the bigger difference than just people standing. I think it's the fact that there's no leaning. There's no action. They're just literally clapping and chanting. Whereas in AEW, you see other things happening, interactions between people. I think that is the bigger difference in my opinion. Uh, we have Chad Plasinka at I Don't Exaggerate. He said, we had Seth, Edge, and Ray all in street clothes not wrestling on the mic. Apollo drew Randy all in trunks, not wrestling on the mic. How does WWE determine who gives promos in ring gear and who doesn't? And what would be the benefit of giving promos in ring gear? It's a, this is a really good question. Um, I think some are legitimate. Seth was going to commentary, had no intent whatsoever of even being in the ring. And, you know, that's a new uniform outfit for him. Edge, same thing. It was a talk show segment. It made sense that he wouldn't be dressed up in that regard. Rey Mysterio was home, so he would not be in ring gear. Uh, Apollo Crews, again, that's a, this is a great point. Apollo Crews and Drew McIntyre, neither of them had matches. Yes, they did step foot in the ring, but it didn't seem necessary that either would be in ring gear. And Randy Orton, he was in the arena. So, you know, maybe just because he was wearing it previously and it was taped, he had it on. I don't know. I think the bigger issue is the people being in ring gear not being out of ring gear. What do you think? I, you know, Randy Orton is obviously not allowed to wear pants. <laughs> so it makes sense. He would dress like he always does. Um, I'm, a, I'm always a fan of street clothes for, for stuff like that. You know, Drew in street clothes looks great. Seth in street clothes usually looks great. I, I, I you know, even a couple weeks ago, Sasha was in street clothes. Bailey put her in the match. Sasha made the point that yes. she doesn't have the right shoes. Like it, it just it feels more natural that way. It feels like how things would go in real life. So um, I don't know how they determine who does what, other than Randy is always going to be wearing trunks. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's 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 a fair question. And she looked damn good both in terms of um, in the segment, the concept of her being dressed down, not ready for a match, and yeah. obviously in real life, in in what she wore that week. But you're right, like. The idea of someone getting thrown into a match while wearing street clothes or dress pants, that's always a good kind of gimmick. You can't do it mm -hmm. too much, but it is something that works. So I do think that if someone does not have plans to be out there and fight and does not have a scheduled match later in the show, 
they should be in street gear. I think that is correct. But it makes is, it makes them feel like real people and not TV right. characters. But it, but it is a good, um, especially when you know that like there's not a dark match later in the show. You can get away with like, you know, let me think of someone. Um, Roman Reigns being fully dressed up in his ring gear, even if he's not wrestling, because you know, even in kind of kayfabe, there's the dark match after TV goes off the air. He's probably wrestling, right? But when that's not the case, and you know that once the taping ends, it's over, it kind of doesn't really make sense. And when people come out for Raw Talk, which, by the way, they were on set this week, looked way better than last week. It was shorter, more cohesive, tighter. Um, When they come out to that, they should all have already been changed unless they were in the main event. They should already be changed in street gear and talking. And, And we'll talk about actually something from Raw Talk. I didn't know whether you watched it or not. As part of our ultimate preview for WWE Backlash, which we're gonna jump into right now. But we're gonna start kind of low on the card, work our way to the main event or the expected main event. So let's start with the women's tag team championships. We'll be defended in a triple threat match. Bailey and Sasha Banks defending the titles against Alexa Bliss, Nikki Cross, and the Iconics. Now, you know, these triple threat tag team matches in WWE, they do them two different ways. And they never really tell you what way it's going to be before the match begins. You can either have a triple threat match where there's three people in the ring, but they all are in tag team so they can tag their partners. Or you can have a tag team match where only two people are in the ring, but there's three teams involved. So I don't know how WWE makes the decision on which format to go, but I personally always prefer the triple threat match where it's three people in the ring at any given time. It's got to be. Yeah, three it's people. Gotta be. The other one makes no sense. And I always hate when they that, do it. that's what they did on Monday. It didn't yeah. make any sense. Um, but three people legal is really what I should say at any given time. And that's the one that the direction I hope they go here. So this is interesting because you could have had Bliss and Cross come into this match with the titles and have Bailey and Sasha Banks win them at the pay-per-view. They decided not to go in that direction. They had them win it on SmackDown. Uh, and, you know, the, the match makes sense because you have the new champions against the former champions and the Iconics who had beat the former champions a couple times and deserved this spot. So the match makes sense. I like it. I'm excited to see it. I think it's going to be really good. But I just don't see any way they change the titles again. You know, I had expected a couple weeks ago that it was going to be the Iconics beating Bliss Cross um, kind of with the way they had set it up. But now if the Iconics take the belts off of Bailey and Sasha, that doesn't feel right what's been going on. Or maybe they pin Bliss Bliss Cross for the belts. And Bailey Sasha lose the belts without being pinned. I don't know. I think this could go. I could see this going a number of ways, and that makes me excited for the match. I think. I, I think based on what they did last week and, and everything that they've put into Bailey Sasha, that they'll probably keep it on them. Well, as I talk to myself about this, no, I'm going to go with the Iconics because the Iconics have already lost a number of times in the last couple weeks. I think they need this win. And I think the Iconics get the belts back and, and move forward from there. That's my the, pick. The Iconics have won. Well, they they, they lost they, they lost the the championship match when they got disqualified. They did lose that, yeah. Yeah, and it, it, they had their little bit of breakup. They've won some singles matches, but it's 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 been weird. That's why I'm, did, I'm going with. That. I think if they lose this as a team here, uh, it, I don't know where they go because they basically they came back and said we want our titles. Like the titles are kind of what is defining them a little bit right now. And I think they need them. Unless you have Sasha Banks take the fall and have Bailey get upset at her over that, which I would not want to happen. Again, you're talking about Sasha Banks having the titles for under 10 days. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, it's a thing throughout her entire career. Um, unless that's the booking, 
and the Iconics do win them. And then you're kind of leading into that breakup. It gives them another reason. Um, I just can't see Like, I can't see the Iconics pinning Nikki Cross to win the titles off Bailey and Banks when they could have done that with Bliss and Cross already being champions. Could you have used the title change as a good one-week storytelling device? Yeah. I mean, again, I just we opened the show talking about how great Bailey and Banks already have been as champions in just a one-week time, not even in a, what do we got, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, in a four-day time, uh, time period holding the titles. They've already been great. Many I, I love I love those champions. It's great. So I just, I, I just can't really fathom taking the titles off them. I think with Bailey having no other SmackDown challengers for her women's title, I think I'd like to see them keep this title here and maybe have a women's tag team extreme rules type of match in July or maybe a stipulation type of match and where they can then lose the titles versus just taking it off them 10 days later. So I'm going to go with my prediction of Bailey and Banks retaining. You have the Iconics. We will see what happens Sunday. Moving on, Jeff Hardy uh, faces Sheamus in a, basically a grudge match. No stipulation, nothing special here. Hardy uh, explained on Friday night that he was set up, which we obviously all knew. Sheamus attacks him and absolutely brutalized him on the ramp, threw him into the plexiglass a couple times. You know, I'm not sure how they're going to further sell this match on Friday night, the go-home edition of SmackDown. But to me, despite weeks and weeks of build leading up to this, I just can't help but say it does not feel important to me. It doesn't feel like it should be a pay-per-view match. And I kind of wish that they had said that between the car accident or, or, or between him being brutalized by Sheamus in a fake car accident and then Sheamus attacking him on Friday, I kind of almost wish they would have sold the injury for a couple of weeks and saved this actual showdown for an extreme rules stipulation match and allowed these two guys to absolutely beat the hell out of each other. Instead, it's just a singles match on a B-level pay-per-view, and it's it's a shrug for me. Yeah, I, we, we made that point when this happened, that, or at least I did, that I would have liked for it to have played out a little bit longer than <coughs> essentially being resolved in one show. Uh he, unless I'm missing something, has Seamus admitted to what happened? Because I know they said witnesses no, saw. It. Yeah, so they yeah. saw someone with red hair go off, and I, I, this isn't a spoiler. This is just a theory. It kind of made me wonder if it's a a, a Sami Zayn thing down the road. Um, so it's 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 a little weird. So maybe this isn't the blood feud. Jeff Hardy thinks it is. I would have liked to have seen this stretched out a little bit longer for the reasons you said. Um, a regular singles match is a little kind of, you know, if if, if Jeff Hardy thinks Sheamus tried to, you know, get put him in jail, right? You know, we we need a we need some more energy in the stipulation. Um, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Jeff Hardy wins because they seem to be moving through this pretty quickly, and I I don't know if you can keep pushing this forward. Uh, that's the the tough thing. It's like okay, if Jeff wins here, this was a total failure of the storyline because it's just it did not really move the needle. Yeah, they got attention for the storyline, a lot of it negative attention, even though we already discussed that. But I have to think this continues because you're not going to elevate Jeff Hardy to immediately go after the Intercontinental title and you're not going to have Jeff Hardy challenge Braun Strowman. So if if Jeff Hardy wins this, he has nowhere to go unless he wins via like roll up and then Sheamus brutalizes him again. I don't yeah. know. I, I don't think so. So I'm just going to pick Sheamus to win here. 
um, and just assume the storyline is continuing. But this is a, a good example. It's kind of a paradigm of the entire pay-per-view. I noted that there's six matches on the show before kickoff show matches. Actually, maybe is there seven? One, two, three, four, five. There's seven matches on the show. Sorry, I said six like twice. Seven matches on the show. I'm sure they will add a kickoff match. But nothing really feels important. And maybe the main event does, or, or the last match we're going to talk about, just because of the way it's been built. But it's a pay-per-view I'm not looking forward to. I'm going to watch it. I actually think it's going to be pretty decent because you have good people working. But even compared to the last one, Money in the Bank, it just doesn't really seem like a very exciting show. And this match is kind of the paradigm of it where it's, it's okay, yeah, I get why they're having it, but I could really care less. And it feels, everything feels pretty predictable. This is maybe one of two matches that I don't think is predictable in terms of the actual winner. So we're split again. You have Hardy. I have Sheamus. Uh, United States Championship, Apollo Crews defending his newly won title against Andrade. You know, Monday night, there was that fire triple threat number one contenders match. And I thought it was strange that WWE announced and previewed so much for Raw. They, they, I think they previewed six segments, but they didn't mention a number one contendership for the U.S. title with Andrade and Kevin Owens in it. If you think people are going to tune into your show or you want people to tune into your show, tell them Kevin Owens and Andrade are going to have a match. Guess what? They're going to want to watch that. I thought the finish to that match was really smart mm-hmm. having Andrade beat Angel Garza after the stunner from Kevin Owens and then factoring Zelina Vega in her getting hurt and building some tension between the two. Um, but when I look at this match, I say, look, Cruz was on his way to beating Andrade before he hurt his knee in kayfabe. Then he actually beat Andrade for the title. I see multiple avenues, which we'll discuss in a minute, where Andrade can go after this. Uh, and Apollo Cruz, granted the mic work hasn't been stellar, the last two weeks after it was pretty good the weeks prior, but I don't see any reason to take the title off Apollo Crews. I have to imagine he retains and that he gets a clean win here. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't see Apollo Crews losing either. I think it works. The only thing is, you know, how many losses can Andrade take? You know, He loses every time. It's crazy. He, he lost, what, twice clean to, to McIntyre in, in a title versus title yeah. match. One of yeah. them was pretty quick. He loses the belt to Apollo Crews. You know, if he loses this, like, what claim does he have to, to go somewhere? Do, do they Are they moving them into the tag team division or something? I don't know. But they're and, and, you know, Zelina Vega's faction, which, you know, we loved for a number of weeks, is just piling up loss after after loss. Um, I know technically they won the triple threat match, but they also lost the triple threat match. Uh, you know, if they lose another title match here, where do they go? Do, do they do, do they move into the tag team uh, with, with, with those two instead? Maybe, maybe that's the, the way to go. But in terms of singles, Andrade's been taking a lot of losses here and a big fan of all of them involved. But uh, I can't see Apollo Crews losing a couple weeks after winning the title either. I know I just said... Uh, I, I see Bailey and Sasha losing it, but it is I different. Think, I, I, I think it's different with it with a tag team that crosses brands. The, the, the title actually elevates Apollo, whereas Bailey and Sasha. I mean, it, it elevates yeah. they they elevate the title. Yeah, like title, this is yeah, this is supposed to be the moment for Apollo Crews. They keep talking about eleven years. He finally got here. Like they're trying, they're clearly trying to build him up here. I would be very surprised if they knock him back down again. I, I totally agree, and and you kind of alluded to what I was going to talk about, which is. Uh, Andrade, what what happens with him going forward? Now, let's remember, you mentioned the crew not doing well. True, mostly, but Garza did beat Owens one-on-one on, you know, and that allowed this match to make sense as a triple threat. 
But if you do have Andrade lose, which I have to believe he does somehow, uh, you have two options. You can vault him into the main event picture as a big time challenger for Drew McIntyre. And I think at SummerSlam, your options really are Seth Rollins, um, if he's not working with Mysterio, or Andrade, because I don't know who else is there. And that is the direction I think that they're going to go. But the other option that you mentioned is Andrade and Garza teaming together and putting them in the tag team title picture, which again, the division is significantly lacking teams and talent and people that you actually want to see. And an Andrade Garza versus Street Profits match. Oh boy. I mean, that's, that's all I'm mm-hmm. going to say. I, that could main event a raw. It could be a major match on a pay-per-view. I would love to see it. So I have to believe they have something else planned for Andrade, his title run with the U S championship. I mean, he didn't do anything anyway. He was suspended. He didn't defend it for a period of time. As you mentioned, he lost twice as champion in non-title matches to Drew McIntyre. So I think we're aligned here with Cruz retaining and them going a different direction with Andrade. I don't know which one they're going to choose, but both to me are semi-exciting. The other thing coming out of this really quick, I don't know if you noticed, Apollo Cruz. I don't know if it's a new theme. It was so tough to hear yeah. for some reason because the crowd is making so much noise, but he either got a new theme or he got lyrics added to his theme. Either way, it was better. And I'm, I really now badly want to hear it. Yeah, I, I really liked his previous or whatever theme you want to call it, what he had before. I really liked it. Um, I couldn't tell what was different about it uh, or if it was different or if it was a change or what. Right. The, the, I couldn't hear the music at all because of it was hard it. to hear the music for a lot of people. Like it I, was like, like um, when MVP came out, I, I like his theme and it was hard to hear that as well. It's kind of they the, also they also cut it. They, they came in while he was making his entrance. Yeah. Where you should never do with MVP entrance. You got to yeah. see the whole thing. Um, but yeah, it was strange. And, and to not hear it clearly uh, was a bit of a disappointment to me. But I, I, I do hope, obviously, at Backlash, he's going to make an entrance. So we get a clearer idea if it's the same music with lyrics or if it's a new theme, but it did sound good either way. And I always like lyrics. You talk about Apollo Crews theme and how good it is. Asuka's theme, it has lyrics to it. it it's meaningful. They, they fit the character. I always prefer when themes have lyrics. Even just look at Sasha Banks versus Bailey. Sasha Banks, okay, granted, Snoop did the remix on it, so it's <laughs> particularly good. But even her original theme was great, you know, because, and the lyrics are actually weird if you ever go look them up. But it, it it means something. It tells you more about the character. Whereas Bailey's themes are kind of just, you know, especially, well, the other one had lyrics, but the current one, it's just music. And I think anytime it's just music, it's kind of boring. So, all right, that's the theme rant there. Uh, I did mention Asuka, so we might as well talk about the Raw Women's Championship. And honestly, this should be elevated probably one spot higher in the card. But the truth is, you know, Nia Jax being in this match, it kind of just makes me not care about it at all. What I really want to talk about, what was an absolutely bomb main event between Asuka and Charlotte Flair. It was a pay-per-view quality match. No question about it in my mind. I think it went nearly 30 minutes. It was at least 20. And they absolutely tore the house down. You know, Asuka and Charlotte Flair, it's been a long-term story. And Flair beats her basically every time. We did see at the Royal Rumble, Becky Lynch finally get over on Asuka. And it leads me to kind of wonder, Chris, are they setting us up for Asuka, Charlotte Flair at SummerSlam with Asuka finally going over Charlotte? Probably. I mean, these two, they, they tear it up every time. I mean, Asuka and Becky are always great. Asuka and Charlotte are always great because... Just Asuka in general is great. It's it, always and, great. And we know that. We, it's Asuka and Sasha Banks, we want to see it. She works well with everybody. She's just 
Very, very good at what we do. I was not a fan of Charlotte and Asuka winning the tag team match to open Raw. And yeah. you know, mm-hmm. kind of, you're kind of wondering, oh, a tag team, can they coexist type of thing? I'm never a big fan when two rivals beat tag teams because it devalues the idea of tag teams. But the main event, I was a big fan of. Um, not much to say other than these two just always put on really, really good matches. I would love to see them. And, and, and I think there's a story to tell there of Asuka finally getting over the hump. I don't know if Asuka's current character can do that without commentary telling that story or a promo package telling that story. Uh, but I, I think there's something there now that Charlotte's out of the NXT picture. Um, it makes sense that that's where she would go next. I mean, badass suited up Asuka is always the best Asuka. The one we got in NXT, just the take no prisoners. Yeah. Uh, heal, but you love her. And you say she's going to kill, you know, Asuka's going to kill you. That chant, that is the best Asuka. And that is not what we have right now. We do have the fun-loving, quirky, sings her own theme song, which I always love, by the way. Asuka, and by the way, she's probably any brand. So we're talking Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW. Asuka's probably the MVP of the pandemic era, at least in my opinion, in terms of entertainment value. So she's doing great. Them giving her the title and and... The stuff with Becky and Money in the Bank, it all worked for me. But if the clearly the feud on there's there's two feuds I think that you can do on Raw, uh, and it's not Nia Jax winning the title. One is Oscar Charlotte Flair. The other is Oscar Bianca Belair. And if they want to elevate Belair and have her step in as the title challenger, you know, eventually maybe for SummerSlam, it would be great for her to beat Oscar and really elevate her into a legitimate big time woman on the roster. All of a sudden. The machinations you have with Bel Air and Flair and Asuka and Kyrie Sane and so on and so forth, it gets you excited about the possibilities. But if you're not going to do Bianca Belair, then really your big match, your money match is Asuka and Charlotte Flair. And I, I, I know people are down on Flair, but I just can't see her beating Asuka again in a marquee match, which leads me to believe that Asuka would get elevated even more from a big time main event, you know, quality match at SummerSlam with Charlotte. And with Charlotte now having two wins over Asuka, if Asuka retains, you have to imagine Flair has the case to say, hey, I'm the number one contender. I've already beat you twice, granted, both via interference and Asuka not being able to cut full promos, unable to kind of make that argument. I just don't see what other direction that they would go. So that is where I think it's going. But the other thing I wanted to talk about, and you know what, before we talk about it, uh, who's going to win this match? Asuka. Okay, Asuka's going to win. I agree. Uh, don't even really want to talk about Naya right now. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to talk about here is the larger topic of Charlotte Flair, because, you know, even though this is a long show and I know it is going on long and we do have some other things to talk about, and maybe this will be a topic that we touch even larger next week. Charlotte's been getting a lot of grief, Roman Reigns level grief recently. Uh, for being on every show and, you know, them giving her the NXT title in the first place and having her beat Rhea Ripley, never putting anyone over. I did mention that Charlotte has not been pinned clean in a singles match in a decisive way since 2018. And that's legit. That's a shoot. I mean, it's two years. Um, But people have been giving her a lot of grief. Meanwhile, at the same time, she's been getting the grief. Some of it deserved, some of it not. She has been tearing the freaking house down. She's had, she did a great promo segment on SmackDown. She's had great matches on Raw. And that triple threat in NXT 
on NXT TakeOver on Sunday night was awesome. It was the right main event. It was arguably the best match on the show. People liked Finn Balor, Damian Priest. I thought the women did the best match of the show. And Io Shirai shined. Now, did uh, did she pin Charlotte? No, she didn't. And could she have? She definitely could have, given the situation. She could have pinned her instead of Rhea Ripley. But Charlotte Flair spent the entire match putting Io Shirai over. So Charlotte's been getting a lot of criticism. You know, this podcast has certainly mentioned a time or two that she's featured too frequently. But I got to say, the last month, I fully enjoyed Charlotte Flair. I'm fully buying into her. And yes, she is one of the top women's wrestlers in the world. I want to see if you agree with that. Oh, of course she is. I, I, I mean, I, well, I mean, I, the I, whole thing, the whole opinion. Yeah, I mean, she. I, I don't agree with the last month. I think the last week has been a lot better um, because she's just been putting on great matches and it's been less promos talking about how great she is, which we were getting for a week. So, you know, now that hopefully maybe she's out of the NXT picture, she's not she's no longer on three shows a week or even two shows a week. Um we can get back to appreciating what she's good at, which is putting on great matches, which is what we got on, on Monday. It, it was, you know, I know she, she's a heel. So, you know, people getting annoyed by her is kind of the point. Um, but I, I think there are ways to use her to get other people over. And I think the biggest problem is the not getting pinned clean in however long you just said. Like I, I mentioned, you know, Rollins, AJ Styles just got pinned by Gulak. A couple weeks ago, Rollins got and clean you can have these people lose and it doesn't like hurt them have somebody beat charlotte clean elevate somebody else it's not going to bring charlotte down she's already a 10-time champion or whatever i think that's my biggest problem it's not that's not necessarily on her that's kind of that roman superman thing where he goes a year without getting pinned in a singles match i know she lost in like a handicap match or something that that was basically it i just think they could be using her better to elevate other people more than just charlotte beating them beating them in a good match just legit beating charlotte that's yeah. the point she she already has the confidence the lineage to to call and consider herself the best she doesn't need to be undefeated to do that well that's the key yeah kyrie sane did beat her but it was a handicap match and she took i think oscar's finisher and then kyrie sane's insane elbow and finally got pinned so of course, someone can lose in that situation, but but you need yeah you need to allow people to beat her. And when I say to clarify, someone's going to probably try to fact check me. When I say decisive clean victory, what I mean is a singles match, her taking the fall, not a roll up, not someone using the ropes, which Bailey did a couple of weeks ago, not a handicap match, but Charlotte Flair, without interference or anything like that, being pinned or submitted in the middle of the ring. Basically, the way Asuka lost to Becky Lynch at the Royal Rumble. That is a clean loss. And Charlotte Flair has not taken taken one of those in singles competition with her shoulders pinned or her tapping out for two years. And yes, that is a legitimate gripe. The other legitimate gripe, I don't really care so much that she won the NXT title, but a lot of those smaller title reigns that she has to inflate her numbers to get her closer to Ric Flair, those deserve criticism when she holds the title for an hour so Bailey can cash in on her or she holds it for six days and then drops it right back to the champion those are all legitimate things but you have to remember Charlotte Flair went a six-month period of time without being champion at all and she was factored into some major storylines but they did a good job keeping her away from those things they had her team with Becky for that period of time on Raw they have tried to do some things to take her away from the title picture yet still utilize her star power the problem is She's never the one to take the fall. And like you said, 
AJ Styles taking the fall, Seth losing clean to Drew McIntyre. What did that do? AJ put over Drew. He still, you, he could win the title tomorrow. He could win the Intercontinental Championship and you still believe him. Seth Rollins, he could beat Drew McIntyre a month from now or beat Apollo Crews in a week and you still believe him because he's Seth Rollins. They can take the falls. A singular loss is not going to hurt Charlotte. Yes, I would now because it has been two years. I would prefer that it not happen on a random SmackDown. Okay, now it needs to be a big moment. But after that moment happens, you got to start treating her like a normal performer and not the Roman Reigns of the women's division. Because if you do that, you're just going to turn more people off of her. There are people that are already predisposed to not liking her because of the name and they feel like she was gifted her spot. Okay, but they didn't feel that way about Roman until WWE, as you mentioned, didn't have him lose and had him dominate people for an entire year and chose him over the storyline they wanted with Daniel Bryan. And they nearly did the same thing with Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch, except this time they realized, hey, we got to go with the hot hand and we have to have Becky Lynch do it. So so don't WWE I'm talking to don't pigeonhole yourself into making people hate Charlotte when the truth is they should hate her for storyline reasons not because you're over pushing her. She is legitimately too good. She is legitimately one of the five best women's wrestlers in the world. You can make an argument that she's the best. I don't think she is because of EO and some other people, but you could say that she is because of everything that she's accomplished and everything that she's capable of doing. She can work hardcore, submission, regular, whatever. So don't ruin what you do have. Start building her and booking her the right way. All right, let's move into that Universal Championship handicap match where we have Braun Strowman defending the titles against Miz and Morrison. I'll give you the first crack here, Chris, um, because I got to tell you, everything that happened Friday on SmackDown just turned me off even more from this. What did you think about the builds on SmackDown and and how do you think this match is going to play out? Uh, I I think Braun's going to win. I like Miz and Morrison together. I think they're funny, but I just I haven't bought into this now they're doing like Nickelodeon like skits and and stuff on Braun and if if it was all to get to the point where Braun does the lifts of vanning thing that we love when he does so okay that 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 but the rest of it I was just like why is Braun put in these situations where he's made to look like a goober just so many times when he should be a big strong tough guy like and again we talked about this last week like uh, a handicap match for a belt, a singles belt. I'm just so confused at how this works. I know they did it with Sami Zayn a couple months ago. Just everything about this is weird. The pranks are just whatever. Braun continues to not be booked as good as he should be, as strong as he should be. I think Braun wins this. I'm, I, I like all the people involved. I just haven't liked how this has been playing out. No, I think you nailed it there. Um, Look, like Miz and Morrison are better as bullies than they are like pranksters. There, there's not a, there's got to be an edge to them. They've got to be like mean. They're not, they're being goofballs, and I, I think that's that's taking away from what they could be. Because I do like them playing off of each other, but it's 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 in fun. It's not in like you know trying to bully somebody. No, you're right. I mean. Morrison was funny in particular this week. He had a couple lines that popped me. I think he quoted Montel Jordan or something, um, you know, in the in the van. But you the second they were in the van, you knew how that was playing out. When you called the way that Braun Strowman appears a goober, you're you're 100 percent right. He looks like a dork 
and a geek, which he should not look that way as a monster champion. The entire thing that happened Friday night was predictable. I know there's a lot of people that are involved in the Intercontinental Tournament that are main event potential type of guys. The, the roster is absolutely loaded on SmackDown right now. But to not have a stronger challenger for Braun Strowman in this match, even if it was just Strowman versus Miz and Morrison was able to be ringside and it was a one-on-one match, Miz as a former champion getting the opportunity, it would have been more palatable. But now we're going to see Strowman against Miz and Morrison. They're going to beat him down for a while. Strowman will eventually separate them. He'll probably hit the running power slam on Miz and beat him. And then the match will be over. And you're just going to kind of sit there and say, okay, that lasted five minutes. It was boring. What's next? Week after week, all they are accomplishing with Braun Strowman is making him look worse and more boring. And his title run has been an absolute disaster. They had an opportunity when they had him beat Goldberg, let's not remember, at WrestleMania. I know that wasn't the plan, that they had Roman Reigns penciled in there. And I actually think Roman may have had a pretty strong title run, had everything worked out as they planned. So I know they had to make a change. But you make that change, and you go with Braun Strowman, and then you do not do what they are succeeding accomplishing on Raw, which is making the champion consistently look strong. Instead, Braun looks weak. He is annoying. Uh, I don't buy him as champion. I actually forget that he is the champion because the title is barely a part of the storyline. And they haven't even had any discussion. If you're going to have Miz and Morrison joke around, they haven't had any discussion about, well, what if we both win the title? Right. What would that be like? You know, you can do funny stuff about that. So this match just seems like it's a total throwaway. It honestly feels like it should main event to SmackDown instead of be on a pay-per-view. Strowman's going to retain. After this match is over and we do the instant analysis, I don't ever want to talk about the storyline or this match again. Yeah, and we, we talked about a couple weeks ago, but compare how Braun has been booked as the champ to how Drew has been booked as the champ. You, Drew McIntyre, you have one aggressive, cocky, badass guy who kicks everybody's ass, and you have Braun who's pulling masks out of boxes and is around slime, and his car is getting destroyed, which I guess is a prank, and 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 it's just it's not really there. It doesn't make sense. Again, Miz and Morrison, who are, are they going to have some? They haven't had any discussion who's going to be the champ, who's going to take the pin. Like, they're not acting like normal people would in this situation. Right. It's just all weird. And it's really been a detriment to Braun. He should have got the title two years ago. Didn't. He's got it now. And he's once again being put in a situation where he doesn't look great, which is what which is what kind of killed him a couple years ago. I mean, what kind of prank is breaking someone's windshield? It's not a prank. Right. Like, if you want to have them be, like, mean, then just be mean. But you can't do, like fizzy pop and slime and then all of a sudden they're just trashing his car that's yeah they're, they're ruining the the yeah. windshield of this car and it, by the way that really is his car obviously the a windshield replacement is very cheap uh which is why they didn't touch the rest of it but i mean like a prank is like pissing on someone's door handle or putting um you know vaseline under the windshield wipers those are pranks right where you do that and then the car he drives off and the car crashes and then he gets mad right that is a prank, just smashing someone's windshield. And why is Braun going out to his car, like, in the middle of the show? Like, right. Like, like, his gear, like, you know? Yeah. Like, I said I want them to be bullies, and destroying someone's car would 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 be that. But it didn't it didn't make sense coming off of what they had just done previously. And it's just, it's not, it's not consistent. Yeah, I mean, it would have been better, honestly, if they, like, they, he had, they had him chase them into a room, and they locked him in a room, and then they 
cut a promo crapping on him and he got angry and ripped the door off. Like something like that would have been better than just this. It was so poorly done and so insulting to have this be your main storyline for your champion on your show. It's no wonder the women's match was in the main event. And again, it deserved to be because it was great. But the women, again, are the best thing on SmackDown. The second best thing is the Intercontinental title feud. This is like eighth best. It's shit. It just is. It's bad. I'm done. I don't want to talk about it. All right. WWE Championship. This I do want to talk about. Drew McIntyre defending his title against Bobby Lashley. Now, apparently, WWE had actually had Jinder Mahal penciled in either for this spot or for next month's pay-per-view. But we have Jinder Mahal all of a sudden. He just came back. People ready to not hinder Jinder. Has a knee injury, getting surgery, now out for a few more months. So you have Bobby Lashley in this spot. And I think what Raw deserves a lot of praise and WWE deserves a lot of praise for entering this match is they have done a very good job elevating Bobby Lashley in a very short period of time and making MVP obviously a part of this uh, storyline and having him align with Lashley was obviously a great decision. The idea that you have Bobby Lashley knocking out, tapping out both Viking Raiders on Monday night to end the show made him look, not to end the show, to end that segment, made him look really strong. People will say that they hate when tag team contenders lose like that. But if you're going to have it happen, you have to do it with a, uh, um, a purpose. And the purpose in this sense was to put Lashley over. McIntyre himself did a great job ending that segment, taking out Lashley and screaming at him as he should, as a dominant champion should. And then you had the segment with Lana. And yes, I criticized some of the stuff with R-Truth earlier in the show, but you had the Lana interview during the match. It makes you wonder. She's saying she's going to look out for herself, but is she going to factor into the finish? Everything about this feud, I like and makes sense. He's a strong challenger all of a sudden for Drew McIntyre, who was already beaten. Brock Lesnar, and yes, the big show, and Seth Rollins, right? And Andrade. So Drew is running through this roster and now he has this huge dominant force in Bobby Lashley. I just think they've done a good job with Lashley. It's what he should have been all along in WWE on Raw. And yeah, sure, I do think Drew McIntyre is going to win the match ultimately. And he's going to continue looking strong. But the reason he's going to look strong is because he's going to be beating a built up Bobby Lashley as opposed to someone who is just thrown to him as chum in this match, like what's happening with Braun Strowman on SmackDown. I am really excited for this match. I have been I have been loving this feud. I was sad two weeks ago when we didn't get a lot of McIntyre Lashley MVP like on that episode of Raw. Like I'm just I want to see them on my screen because Drew is killing it, MVP is killing it, and Bobby's doing you know what he has to do. Um, this has been a really just fun feud of just two guys who are big guys who kick ass and they, and now they're finally going head to head with all the momentum in the world on both sides. It's not like they fought each other in a tag match and somebody lost. Oh, is somebody going to have momentum? Oh, can they overcome that? No, it's just two guys who have been built up to look really strong, just ramming into each other. I don't know how the match is going to be. Probably doesn't need to be too long, but uh, MVP's gotten me you know, hyped for everything going on. I'm really excited for it. I think this has been, this is exactly how you should build up something like this, how you should build characters like this. And I'm excited to see it come to a, come to a head here. They've done a, just a really good job. I think of developing pretty much all aspects of this feud. It's just been really well done. 
Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't need to go exceedingly long, but I do. I would like twelve to fifteen minutes. Yeah, so yeah, I don't, yeah, I, yeah. I don't want an eight-minute match, but yeah, you give me fifteen on this, and and I'm definitely really happy with that. DM slide from Jonathan Pervez at Johnny No H Five Alive Seven. He said, "Hey, which wrestlers do you think benefit the most from there being no crowd? I think Bobby Lashley is more believable as a heel when he's not having to get a reaction." So I mentioned Oscar. I think is the MVP of this era, but to his point, Chris. I think a big reason why Lashley is succeeding is because you don't have the crowd actively fighting against him. And sometimes that works mm-hmm. in the heel's favor. If Rollins was out there in front of a crowd, he would still succeed with this. It maybe would have taken a little longer for him to develop it and figure out the way he wanted the disciples to act, but it still would have been good. With Lashley, I could have seen this failing a little bit with the crowd not buying him as a main event talent. Yet, here it is, and I just put him over as I think he's extremely strong, and they've done a good job. So, do you agree that uh, the not having a crowd, you know, at least a full crowd, has benefited Lashley in a major way? And is there anyone besides Lashley and Oscar that you think has really benefited in a major way from not having a crowd? I, I think it has helped. Although I do think if there was a crowd, MVP would kind of work against that a little bit. But I do think. You know, when someone like Bobby Lashley is in a championship match that you don't expect him to win, you kind of get that grown sense when they come out because from a crowd because, you know, oh, we know where this is going to go. So we're not we're just not going to be into it. And when a crowd is loud for one thing, less loud for the other, you can tell what matters and what doesn't matter. I I think it has helped. I don't know if it's the most. I think Oscar's probably one i think seth rollins maybe not the last couple of weeks but seth rollins has been another transitioning into the monday night messiah i think not having a crowd helped him as well uh so so those definitely stand out I, i'd be curious if mvp in front of a crowd could get people riled up and, and into it more um but i, I think lashley is it's, I think it's fair to say that Lashley has certainly been aided by not having a crowd quite a bit. But I but I put more than anything that on MVP, who's just been absolutely killing it. So you have McIntyre retaining as well, just to confirm? Yes, I do. Okay, so we are now going to discuss the greatest wrestling match ever. No, not you, Roman. Edge against Randy Orton. It was clear on Monday night uh, that Christian in that peep show segment was trying to do a reverse psychology type of thing for Edge. But without a big crowd to respond to it and hammer on Christian for being negative, that segment to me felt extremely flat. It dragged far too long. It was too long. It was very heavy handed. And it was supposed to be emotional. It was supposed to be tugging at Edge's heartstrings. And it just really, in every way, did not work for me. However, If you did watch Raw Talk, which I assume most of you did not, Samoa Joe sat down with Edge on set and interviewed him basically one-on-one. Charlie was there. But he got so much out of Edge from an emotional standpoint. Basically, everything that Edge needed to get across in the interview with Christian, in the segment with Christian, but didn't, that it said to me, man, they did not think this through right. Samoa Joe interviewing Edge, even in a pre-taped backstage segment, would have been far better television than Edge and Christian kind of in this weird reverse psychology, real life, emotional best friends trying to get the best out of you thing. It just, for me, did not work. And then you had Randy Orton, who basically was backstage the entire time. You never saw him face-to-face with Edge. But I did think 
in the two kind of promos. One, you know, he did with, uh, I forgot if it was Kayla or Charlie, whoever it was. But, you know, he talked to them and then he said the redemption of Edge is over in his promo that he gave during the peep show. I thought he was strong. And I thought Orton was kind of living up to the expectation. So on Monday night, I just, it kind of took me out of this match more than it did build me up for him. I would have almost rather than done the interview with Edge like I talked about with Joe and given us a highlight package of incredible things that Edge has done in the ring, incredible things that Orton has done in the ring and built this up as the greatest wrestling match ever, which is what the tagline is. It's what they're trying to do. And we can talk about that in a minute, but build it up as that. Actually give me reason to think they might deliver on that as opposed to this crap, which is what I thought the Edge and Christian segment was. Yeah, I get the idea, you know, Christian's his longtime friend. You kind of want to bring that emotion out, but it just, it did not work in execution. It's hard to take Christian seriously because we always see these two guys joking around and Christian just couldn't bring the right amount of, I think, seriousness, or at least I didn't get that sense when I was watching it compared to, like you said, Samoa Joe getting it out of him. I will say Edge was great in both. I, 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 he cut a great promos with Christian, even if I didn't love what Christian was conveying, or at least how it was coming across. Edge was still killing it, and Edge killed it again on Raw Talk afterward. Edge might be the best promo going right now in in WWE. He he's 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 knocking out of the park every single time, and it, it it's again. Oh, I am getting excited for this match again, and then they, <laughs> and, then, and then they flip it to the greatest show thing, and I'm. Again, getting weird vibes because they're 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 like Edge never said it was going to be the greatest match. It was Charlie who said that, yes, right? That's correct. what started this. Like, she injected or, it at the end of a weird yeah. Promo Orton at the end of the show. and Orton yeah. and Edge have never said this, and they're talking about kind of having to live up to that, but neither of them promised it. So that whole dynamic of the greatest wrestling match is taking me out of it. I think more than anything else, because otherwise, I think Orton's kind of getting a little tired with whatever i but edge is great i just wish he was in a different feud with this with the you know do you still got it that's that's something he could that that's a that's an idea he could use in a feud against mcintyre you know going for the title oh here's this young big strong guy do i still have it you know that that's where that should come out i don't need another i didn't need another month of this with with orton so i'm enjoying edge on the mic that's about it I have no idea what to expect from this match. I'm wondering if they're going to do some sort of cinematic thing or if there's going to be some weird swerve. I, I feel like it's not going to be a straight up regular singles match by the books like we get. I just don't know what it's going to be. So in that sense, I'm kind of interested. I, I just more than anything, though, I just want to move past Edge Warden and I want to get Edge into more interesting feuds with all the other really interesting people who are on the roster. So, so I do want to discuss the tagline for the show. Before I do, I do actually have a, it's legitimately a five second, very minor spoiler, but I also don't want to bother anyone. So I'm going to hit the siren after the siren ends. If you don't want to hear the spoiler, hit the skip button once and you will not miss it. I pr- and you will miss it. I promise you. Okay. So the spoiler is basically that the match was pre-taped and apparently it's really, really good. So that, that's hmm. it. And, and, you know, no one's expecting the greatest wrestling match ever here. 
It's just not. They're not going to live up to it. Not possible. They are not Okada and Omega. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. And they're also not, you know, Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. So it's not going to be the best WWE match. But do I think it can be a very good match? I absolutely do. But I gave this some thought while I was putting this rundown together for the show. And I was kind of looking at stuff. And I came to a realization here, Chris. The realization was that this June show, this June pay-per-view, was supposed to be a Blood Money in the Sand show in Saudi Arabia. And I have zero doubt in my mind, zero, that they were going to call it whatever they were going to call it, Crown Jewel or whatever BS name. And the tag for the show was the greatest wrestling show ever using the greatest showman theme that you love. And that was the entire plan for June was to have the greatest show ever in Saudi Arabia with, by the way, an Edge and Orton match because you want the big names to be in Saudi Arabia to do a big show, but not have this be the greatest wrestling match ever. But what did they have? They paid for the rights. They had to put a pay-per-view together. And they said, you know what? Edge and Orton are already booked to work for us in June. Let's promote this as the greatest wrestling match ever. So that is the decision that I have come to. That is why we are where we are. You might be. That's a great theory. I have to believe it. I, I really think that that may be the explanation. I, I really think that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I can't really poke any holes. I can't really poke any holes. And Edge Wharton for a second time at a blood bunny in the sand makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, that's probably why. I, I don't know. You know, I. Obviously, we're not inside. Don't know that for sure, but I think that's a really great theory that would make a lot of sense, and it makes me feel a little bit differently about everything now. Well, it makes me think that hey, why didn't you just save it? Like you didn't need to use the theme for this show. You didn't need to blow this match away for this show. So that makes me question it. Uh, but other than that, it does start to crystallize why it's happening in this manner. Now, I think we both agree there's no way the match is going to live up to the tagline. It's a question I was going to ask you. So instead of that, let's discuss how the hell should they book this match in terms of who's going to win, and do you see a third match? Do you see this continuing, or do you want it to end here? I don't know. I, I want it to end here. I, I think Edge wins. Orton's a guy who can. Orton's a guy, another guy who can take losses and move on to whatever and be totally fine. I, I want to see Edge against McIntyre, against uh, all these other. Maybe he goes to SmackDown and does something. There, there are so many interesting people going. On Raw, that when these when you get a big star to come back, I want to see them with new people. You know, when Brock came back, the matches we wanted or wanted to see, or when Brock resigned, the matches we wanted to see were Brock versus Finn, Brock versus AJ, Brock versus Dan Bryan, and we got those. And not everyone was great, but that's the kind of thing I want to see. And, and Edge only has so many miles left. I don't want to see all all of these used on on Randy Orton stuff. I want to see new, fresh matchups for, for someone like him. So I really hope it's over. I, I think edge wins. Maybe Orton takes a few months off or something. Um, he, he, Randy can pop in and out of whatever and be totally fine. I, I want edge to win and, and maybe he moves on. You know, if he has two wins over Randy Orton, maybe he, maybe he's a SummerSlam match for Drew McIntyre. I, I like, I, I think that'd be something that'd make a lot of sense. It'd be a lot of fun. So I hope this is the end of it. Um, and I, I think edge wins. It's tough for me, you know, because I keep going back and forth on it. On one hand, I see an extreme rules blow off, you know, where, where edge loses and, or maybe Orton 
at the end of the match uses the steel steps or, you know, a chair behind the referee's back. The ref gets knocked down, whatever the case wins. And Edge is like, we got to end this once and for all. Hell in a cell at Extreme Rules or an Extreme Rules match or whatever the case. And I know I've said that a few times on the show today as a way to continue feuds. And, and I know that also we also like feuds ending and not continuing over and going on and on. On the other hand, yeah, I could see Edge just winning and Orton losing twice to him and kind of taking a few months off before he comes back. But whereas Edge, I think, would have good reason to kind of continue on with Orton, if Orton loses, there's really no reason for him to continue on with Edge. And then the question is, what the hell do you do with Randy Orton? Do you make Randy Orton that SummerSlam challenger for Drew McIntyre? Maybe he comes back, wins a couple you know, key matches, wins a number one contendership match, wins a scramble or a um, gauntlet match or something, and he becomes Drew McIntyre's challenger at SummerSlam. So I do ultimately think while I'm talking about it, just like I did in the last preview show uh, with the NXT triple threat, now that I'm talking it through, I like the idea, I think, of Edge winning and this ending. And that is a reversal uh, from where I came in. I came in thinking that Randy Orton was going to win. But, you know, the problem is you look at this card, McIntyre is a face who's going to win. Strowman is a face who's going to win. So is Asuka. So is Apollo Crews. And maybe Jeff Hardy. And you're like, well, where are the heel, heel victories here? So this is where Randy Orton could come into play with a win, surprising a lot of people and continuing this to a blow-off match. Uh, so I'm not exactly sure what they are going to do. And I hate to kind of be on the fence about it, but ultimately I am going to side with you. I am going to say that Edge is going to win. But if I was booking it, what I will tell you is I would most likely book Orton to win this. And I would find a way to continue the feud and figure out a, bl- a legit blow-off match which is what their match at WrestleMania should have been. A match right. of that type. That's why it should have been the end of it. It should have been the end of it. So because of that, again, if I was booking, I think the smart booking decision is for Randy Orton to win. But if I'm making a prediction, it will be Edge. So that is our ultimate preview for WWE Backlash. Before we get out of here, we're just going to do a quick look at what's coming up Wednesday on NXT and AEW. And also some news coming out of New Japan Pro Wrestling. So for NXT... We have Adam Cole against Dexter Loomis in a non-title match. I think it makes a lot of sense coming out of what happened at TakeOver to give Loomis this type of opportunity. Certainly, Undisputed Era is probably going to interfere. And whether Cole wins or whether it's a DQ doesn't really matter. But it will be interesting to see how they basically play that off. And obviously, the fact that we get Dexter Loomis in a match of this quality is a big deal. You have Finn Balor against Cameron Grimes. Balor trying to get revenge after losing to Grimes in singles competition. I think he probably gets that revenge and moves on maybe to become the new number one contender and challenge Adam Cole at the next takeover. Io Shirai will be celebrating her first night as NXT Women's Champion. And that is all that's really been announced for NXT. Uh, The other thing I will mention quickly is there have been some awesome tweets going back and forth between Randy Orton and Tommaso Ciampa. (laughs) Randy making fun of NXT for being leg slappers. Ciampa talking about Randy Orton's matches being boring and filled with headlocks, which yeah, for large parts of his career is very much true. I would love a feud between these two. Champa tweet, uh, teased it, I think in 2018 or 2019, that Blackheart versus Viper would be an awesome feud. I totally agree. So send, send Randy Orton down to NXT like he did Charlotte. Like, dude, you know, he, would tower, he would tower over these people, uh, which I don't know if it's good in the long run. But like, especially now with everybody in the same space, I feel like there, there were opportunities to do stuff like that. 
and and just try to have some it, have some fun with it. It would it would be awesome to turn this, which seems like a shoot, into a work. It would be pretty great. So uh, I would love to see those two fight. It would be absolutely awesome. AEW Dynamite. I'm going to run through the card, Chris. I'll give you an opportunity to kind of tell me what you're excited about. Cody against Mark Quinn for the N- for the uh, TNT title. Mark Quinn is a substitute for Phoenix, who is still hurt, was supposed to get this opportunity. You have FTR in their debut match in AEW against Butcher and the Blade coming off that interview segment from last week. You have a six-man tag, Hager, Santana, and Ortiz against Orange Cassidy and Best Friends. And then you have Sammy Guevara versus Cole Cabana. So Cabana. So like, that was weird. Uh, so like I said, NXT and AEW, I really don't think the cards are strong. I don't think the promotion is strong for either show. But for Dynamite, out of anything I just mentioned, are you really looking forward to any of it? Yeah, I'm mostly just looking forward to FTR back in the ring again. And, and I'm sure they'll be wrestling a tag team style that they want to. I really like the, the, the promo stuff they did last week talking about you're not going to see us doing flip. You actually, you know, one of them, I don't remember which one kind of had a Twitter thing going with Kenny Omega in terms of, you know, we're, we're not going to be doing flying knees stuff of, off the turnbuckles, all this fancy stuff, you know, the, the no flips, just fists thing that they like to say uh, in WWE. So I'm excited to see their start in AEW and, and, and I, those guys are one of the best tag teams in the, in the world. And I'm excited to see them in a place where I think tag team wrestling is obviously greatly appreciated. Butcher and the Blade, I, I like as a good op- opponent. I, I generally like them as a tag team as well. Just incredibly deep tag team division there. So mostly I'm looking forward to FTR in, in their debut. And I, I like Cody's ongoing open challenge. That's always a, a good thing to have on TV. And um, anytime Orange Cassidy is in a match, I am going to be paying attention. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I feel like Mark Quinn being the substitute for Phoenix was kind of strange. I mean, yeah, I want to see him in action. I actually like like the idea of seeing, seeing him in a singles competition, but there's so many people who are singles wrestlers who could use an opportunity yeah. at the TNT title where he just doesn't need it. Uh, but you're right. I think FTR is really the starring attraction. For Dynamite, I will be watching NXT Live as I usually do, but I am excited to see FTR in their first match. And yes, the tag team division in AEW, I actually mentioned it on the Wednesday show. It is strong. Um, there are some weak points in it, but when you look at it in its totality, if everyone was healthy, if everyone was active and able to be at the show, you know, obviously Pentagon is in Mexico. He's not able to get there because of the pandemic. Um, but when it is full and everyone is operating at 100%, it is incredible. And I am excited to see AEW treat tag team wrestling like they promised us they would treat tag team wrestling. And yes, we did get that great Bucks versus Omega uh, match, Omega and Hangman Page. But outside of that, I don't feel like they've lived up to their promise thus far in AEW. Closing the show, New Japan Pro Wrestling after Raw on Monday night announced it is officially returning to action in mid-June. They will have a show on June 15th. They will then hold the NJPW Cup from June 16th all the way till July 3rd. The finals of the NJPW Cup will be held on July um, July 11th, I believe. It may be the 12th, I'm sorry. But July 11th with the following night being the second night of Dominion. So the finals of the NJPW Cup will be on the first night of Dominion. And then the second night of Dominion, the winner of the NJPW Cup will face Tetsuya Naito for the heavyweight and intercontinental IWGP championships. So... The, car, the, the bracket for the NJPW Cup, it's solid. It's not overly incredible, but you do have the standards 
you want, obviously, you have Okada. I think Tanahashi's in there. I could be wrong. Takahashi is in there. Evil, Sonata, etc. So very excited for that bracket to play out. I don't exactly know how much you all want us talking, NJPW, on this show. So maybe I will drop a, a poll on our Twitter account. Don't forget to follow it at Getting Overcast. You can let me know how much NJPW talk you want, which show you would want it in, or if you only want it separate. I'm not sure. You can also feel free to tweet me now that you're hearing this, your thoughts and what you do or don't want us to do about NJPW. Going going in deep about it, uh, just talking very much of an overview, or really only covering Dominion, the G1, and of course, Wrestle Kingdom at the start of the new year. So you let us know, and we will deliver that for you. But this has been a long extended edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I I thank Chris Vanini for joining me. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Vanini. Of course, I'm the Silver King. You can follow me, Adam Silverstein, at Silverstein Adam. As I mentioned, follow the show at Getting Overcast. And since you have made it through the entire show, I know plenty of you have not already. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop that five-star rating and review. We will be back Thursday, wrapping up everything that goes down on NXT and AEW Dynamite. And we will be back Sunday for instant analysis of WWE Backlash. Do not forget to tune in Sunday night or first thing Monday morning. So for Chris Vanini and the Silver King, there's one other person who wants to say goodbye. Come on, that. Oh, oh. We got something going that's oh, really big. Oh, yeah. Look in the video scope right now and tell him about Macho Madness. Tell him how strong it is and tell him where we're going. Yeah. We into the Twilight Zone. Yeah. And Hulk Hogan's got no chance, does he? No. no. Does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man right no. now? Am I the greatest wrestler, past, present, and future that ever lived? Okay, now say goodbye. Say goodbye. Right. Okay, get out of here. Well, that's right a little now. rough, Randy. No, yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. And I am the roughest one in the sport. I am the number one wrestler in the world today. Tell Hulk Hogan that. Tell I will. I thank you, Randy Savage. Thank you all for listening. Bye for now. <laughs>